All right, this is it's interesting branding. Definitely takes some getting used to. Just when you think you have all D3 mastered, you've got schools jumping conferences, getting kicked out of conferences, and conferences renaming themselves. I think that those five seconds are as good a cold open as we need. I was waiting for you to go, <laughs> which is usually when I know we have a cold open. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Yes, we've managed to dust off the uh, recording equipment. We figured out how to plug everything back into the laptop. We managed to, to find a spot where uh, both Keith and I could sit down and record, finally, another D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. That's what you've tuned into, two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. That's the largest division with the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman, and you are... Keith McMillan, your co-host. That guy. That's right. I remember you. I appreciate. I really do appreciate you being here. And thank you for uh, tuning in, everybody. Who, uh, if you still have this feed, we really appreciate it. Uh, we last sat down and recorded a podcast about the end of May, and we're here for podcast number two thirty-eight, our uh, June, July, August podcast. One of our interviews in this edition is from June. One is from July. One, oddly enough from august and it's been that kind of off season but I, I did manage to find the recording equipment here near the bottom of the pile on my desk because i gotta be honest with you for a long while this off season i wasn't sure if we were going to have a podcast or kickoff or even necessarily d3football.com this year and uh, and here's why you know i'm not exactly a division three purist i'm all right with d3 rolling with the changes new stag bowl site Okay, I can get behind that. New regional alignments. I'm, I'm not loving that concept, but maybe it'll maybe we'll see. Maybe it'll be something all right. But, you know, we start this summer with a Division Three conference kicking a member out because it wins too much. It, it seemingly doesn't get any less Division Three than a story like that, doesn't it? How do we say with a straight face that D3 is about the love of the game when schools in the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference decide to place so much emphasis on winning? We've got uh, guys transferring for one year of eligibility. You know, just Division Three has gotten a lot harder to cover and a lot less fun. Forget about that one school in purple, which has been big-timing us for not covering up the truth. Even beyond that, there are just more barriers put up to people like us giving Division Three the coverage it deserves. But here's the thing, Keith and listeners. I am not ready to take my ball and go home. This website, d3football.com, has been here for 20 years. We're headed into season number 21, and we are not going to pull an MIAC and throw it all away. So a school thinks it's too good for d3football.com, we're not going to let that bother us. A booster wants to call and threaten me over our coverage? That's going to roll like water off a crow's back, Keith. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Pat, I'm impressed. You're a fired up. You're in mid-season form. I am definitely still in preseason form. I get to this point sometime in the offseason every year where I'm like, maybe this is the year we should hang it up. We've had a good run. Um, we've did some, we've done some fun things. We've covered 20 stag bowls and um seen really some of the great moments in, in D3 history, got to know. Some cool people who are, you know, some were stars and some were behind the scenes folks. Uh, you know, probably one of our favorite people we've met, characters along the way is Carrie Harvey Cutter, right? Like not a, not even a player. Um, I get to this point every year where I'm like, should we do this again? Is it, Do we have enough time? 
given all of our regular lives, you know, children, full-time jobs. Um, and this is not just you and I, Pat, this is the most of the rest of the folks on the team now, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's Ryan Tips or Adam Turr or any of the other guys, you know, we all have these, as, as everyone listening does, uh, you know, kind of a full robust life outside of football. And so you get to this point in the year where you're either really, really aching for it to start up again, or you're kind of like, I just like to sit back and watch for one year. And we got through kickoff this season, and uh, you start to get the 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 what's the what's the not not champing at the bit, but you know you start to get the blood flowing again. Start to get on the phone with coaches, and I'm you know cracking up with with Pat Cerrone and talking to Mike Maynard from Redlands, and all of a sudden I'm 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 back in football. I'm interested again. You know, you just get that way. And I hope you guys all got that when you, when you subscribe to kickoff. And now uh, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you're a, somewhat around uh, a week out from games, depending on uh, you know, when you, when you hear this and Pat, you getting fired up, it just fits right on in with this. Cause you do get to a point where, where it feels like maybe we've been doing this too long and it's too, I don't know if we want to do it again. And then, you know, as soon as it gets right back in the bloodstream, it's like, let's go, let's get some games. I want, it's kind of a wide open season. Like we don't know who's going to win the national championship. uh, We don't know who's going to win um, half of these conferences out here. And then you have storylines that we did not see coming, starting with the St. Thomas one that, that you've mentioned. Yeah, we don't know who's going to play quarterback for the defending national champs. Uh, you mentioned the the big St. Thomas story. We've got uh, you know a former D3Football.com All-American quarterback transferring within the state to a, another Division three school and another Division three conference. Um, and, and Keith, uh, to get to the point where the adrenaline really started to kick in for me for Division three football this season, you know, sometimes, often, I would actually say often, it is Somewhere around April 1st, you know, the Division Three basketball season is going to end somewhere between the 15th and the 21st of March. And I need a couple of weeks just to kind of get my head back together and catch up on stuff at work or stuff at home or I don't know. I mean, around here, you have to shovel snow in the end of March. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was really probably, let's see, kickoff came out on the 20th. Uh, it was really about uh, August twelfth or so when it finally, when when uh, when when football mode finally kicked in for me, man. It has been it's been it's been a tough off season. I feel some of these stories have been pretty demoralizing, but uh, I just sat down as I was kind of preparing for our, our podcast recording session here, Keith, and jotted down a few things that I'm looking forward to here in the Division Three football season. Do you mind playing along with me? I don't mind at all. The first thing on my list, when I kind of remembered that the Cortica Jug game is going to be played in MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands in New Jersey in front of what's looking like it's going to be 40,000 plus fans, that to me is going to be one of the highlights of any Division Three football season, let alone this one. I think that you and I are both going to be there. At least I hope so. I have already been, I was already That's planning. That's the plan? That's good. I was already planning on making the trip, so uh, I know it's a lot shorter trip for you and uh, uh, and Northern Jersey. I don't know. I mean, it ain't South Jersey, but uh, hopefully you're uh, hopefully you're okay making that trip. Yeah, you're right. South Jersey, it is not. But uh, and I'm glad I've taught you. If I've taught you nothing over the years, it's that there's Jersey and there's South Jersey. <laughs> um, I I love that there's a that the stated goal uh, of the Cortica Jug game is to try to exceed the Johnny Tommy game from last season. 
uh, or was two it two seasons, seasons ago, where they where they had thirty seven thousand fans at the Twins ballpark, and this year um, they're going to be playing at the uh, MLS Stadium Alliance Field in. Uh, Saint, is that St. Paul or this? You're the Minnesota expert here. Yeah, Allianz Field is in St. Paul. So, uh, but that's not a threat to break. See, any- I did it. Yeah, it's a it's a healthcare company or something. I don't even know. And they seat about twenty thousand or so. So it's not going to set another record. But the thing I like about the the whole breaking or with the goal of breaking the Division Three record thing is like we're the ones who keep track of the division three football attendance record. The NCAA doesn't do that. We've been doing that for, I don't know, almost maybe 10 years now. We're the uh, official keepers of this data now. Yeah, we did it. It started with an around the nation column where we've sort of unofficially polled anyone we've, well, we looked through, you know, box scores, but then we polled anyone we thought their rivalry game might've ever approached 10,000. And uh, so that was like, you know, it didn't have to even be a, a week 11 rivalry. It could be like Mount Union, John Carroll. And um, turns out most D3 stadiums don't even have the the capacity to go much over 10,000. So it was very easy to lop off uh, quite a few of the of the potential contenders. And then essentially it's Amherst Williams, it's Moan and Bell, Wabash and, uh, Wabash and DePaul, uh, Randolph Macon, Hampton, Sydney. And then the past few years, the the Johnny Tommy game has just kind of lit the the old record book on fire, uh, and and it's taken now the top several spots. Uh, also, there's some Whitewater games that are in there because Perkins Stadium uh, can hold well over ten thousand. So the the record book has sort of been written and rewritten, and then the record was seventeen thousand, and then it just shot to thirty seven uh, with uh, with with the Johnnies and Tommies. And we thought that's that's un, that's an unbreakable record. It's like Joe DiMaggio's 56 hits, right? And then uh, here comes Cortica Jug, uh, Ithaca, and Cortland State signing a deal to play at MetLife and now possibly could break that record. So that, that does give us something to look forward to in 2019. But, Pat, as you mentioned, you have a list, and it's not nearly the only thing. No. Um, I am looking forward, though, to that uh, Johnny Tommy game in Allianz Field. I'm looking forward to seeing – uh, Erdman take uh, another shot at the Tommies. Um, I actually, uh, I was reminded that I did not see St. Thomas play at all last year, uh, often because that stadium's just kind of tough to cover games in. The uh, The facility's not great for media and that sort of thing, and I was out of town during the, the, the Tommy-Johnny game last year. So I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, frankly, um, you know, I am just looking forward to this whole thing just starting again. Uh, I'm gonna go see. Uh, I'm gonna go see Buena Vista at Hamlin on Thursday night, September 5th, to get the season started. Um, and although you know maybe my new day job isn't allow me to go dr- uh, have uh, time on the road and go do a bunch of uh, games in a row like I did uh, the previous summer uh, in the previous uh, you know week one. I'm looking forward to week one this year. I just wanna. I just want games again. I'm ready for games. I mean, I'm also looking forward to week one, even though I'm fairly certain the old alma mater is going to get spanked. Um, They get five Johns Hopkins coming down to Randolph-Megan to open up the season. I'll probably get a chance to go down there on a Thursday night game and then get to go to games on Saturday, too. There's some super interesting um, non-conference games early in the year. Linfield travels to Rowan, so that's Oregon to New Jersey. You have... uh, UW Oshkosh coming out to, to Salisbury in week two, I believe. North Central 
to uh, to Christopher Newport. And there might be one other really, really interesting one like that where they're just, you know, a couple teams crossing um, multiple time zones to play a, an, an on-conference game. So I think that kind of stuff um, is is exciting and always fun to look forward to. But I think you, you kind of just tapped on this as you went past. Uh, Mary Harden won the Stag Bowl in its home state, the first Stag Bowl outside of Salem, Virginia, in, uh, since 19, since 1992, right? Because the, the Stag Bowl moved to Salem in 93. It sort of became the unofficial uh, home of Mount Union and their amazing run. And then it also was the, the home for all the Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowls. And, uh, and then last season, Whitewater is back in the picture after sort of ducking out of the picture for a couple seasons. Mary Harden Baylor gets to play Mount Union at home, wins the national championship in Texas. Shenandoah, we didn't really know what to make of them. We don't know how really excited they were to have the game. But when we went down there, it was a great experience. And now we have no idea, you know, this this year's Stag Bowl could be like a team from Minnesota against some team from the East. I think you and I may have both picked separate teams from Minnesota to play in the Stag Bowl this year. Yeah, I, I kind of went a little bit gut feel with, um, you know, with I think the Tommies and you guys will hear later in the podcast, Glenn Caruso, you know, pretty straightforward and also pretty diplomatic. And he's also just kind of a um, kind of like a walking self-help book. He's like, um, make, you know, we never look backward. We're always looking forward. And it's and it's true. Like, that's a good way to live. And you can understand why players want to play for him. Because he just he just says stuff like that in normal conversation, like it's not an act with him, but um, but it's also kind of like I I think they're probably the players are gonna internalize that like the the whole getting kicked out thing, it just puts a spotlight on them that didn't necessarily need to be on them, but it also comes at a time where they're already kind of ticked off from going eight and two. They, you know they want to beat their rival again. And if they can beat St. John's, which was a late end zone interception or a three-point loss away from beating the national champions deep in the playoffs last season, if they can play with that team, they can play with any team in the country. And so it wasn't too far of a stretch to, to see uh, the Tommies. You know, if they land on a quarterback that really emerges from that group of three, four, five, six, however many quarterbacks are actually taking snaps um, – <laughs> They, you know, they they have good a chance as anyone to win it. You got uh, you got Mountain Union sort of any year they don't win it. They're like they're not flying below the radar, but they're not the the hunted uh, as as much as they normally are. But they've got, uh, you know, great offensive personnel with with D'Angelo Fulford, Josh Petroselli, Justin Hill all back. So, I mean, they're they're a threat to win it. They've always got a great defense. And then, you know, some of the usual suspects are always going to be in the mix. Uh, and looking for a couple of them, probably um, whether or not like Linfield and Wesley bounce back from years they missed the playoffs along with St. Thomas will uh, will make this a pretty intriguing uh, early season as well. One more thing before we get into the interview portion of this podcast and, and our interviews this month are with Chuck Yergin. He's the uh, commissioner of the American Rivers Conference with Glenn Caruso, the uh, University of St. Thomas head coach, and then Christian Oslin's the head coach of Buffalo State. We'll have those coming up in just a moment, but there's one more kind of the big uh, type story from the offseason that we haven't talked about because the last time we had a podcast, it was not super official. Uh, but it is Joe Germanario, the aforementioned former D3Football.com All-American quarterback, transferring to Ithaca for his final season of eligibility. 
um, and you know, basically uh, displacing a guy who is a a, a multiple year starter for Ithaca, who's uh, currently the number two. If he wants to stay around, I don't even know if you're a guy who's got two years of eligibility left, and uh, maybe at this point you start eyeing another program. I have no idea, but it's going to be very interesting then to see if Germanario is a step above and can he elevate Ithaca to the next level because Ithaca, you know, obviously had a, a really good season last year under head coach Dan Swanstrom and, you know, could have been a couple of plays or maybe a player away from getting uh, at least as far as RPI did in the playoffs. Yeah, and if you guys are, um, if you don't listen to the the sort of the friend of the podcast podcast uh, in the huddle, one of uh, one of the co-hosts of that show, James Baker, wrote a nice feature for us in Kickoff, which is again, if you're a first time listener, if you haven't listened in a while, Kickoff is our online only preseason preview magazine that we do for the D three football season, and we we did streamline it a little bit this season to try to make it a little more reader-friendly and, frankly, a little more writer-friendly. Um, so James wrote a nice feature that that highlights the other half of this argument, which is does Brockport – you know, how much do they lose by losing their All-American quarterback, not to mention the the six other uh, All-Region players that uh, that graduated last season? So are they are they a program that just peaked and, and had their 1-12 win season and goes back to being – you know, maybe a six, seven, eight, nine win sort of team, or are they a 10 and 0 again? We're going back to the playoffs and we just had a hiccup against RPI last year. And then you have the, the, the part of the argument, Pat, where, or the, the thing we'll be keeping an eye on, I guess is probably a better way to say it that you brought up. What, what does, what does Wahid Nabi do? Does he? He's a freshman, sophomore starter. He, does he sit for a junior season and then start again as a senior? Does he? Um, does he take? Does he take the job back? Does he win it back? Does he get it back by injury during the season? You know, is is this gamble worth it for Ithaca? Does, Ithaca is a program that uh, won eight games last season, was a uh, two point conversion attempt away from beating RPI, which was three rounds deep in the in the playoffs last season. So again, if you do that. That thing that doesn't always doesn't always <laughs> um, pan out, but if you trace if you trace the if they'd beaten this team, maybe they'd gone uh, a couple of rounds deep into the playoffs as well. If Ithaca believes all we need to do to to jump to that level where we're where a threat to go deep into the playoffs, if not all the way to Shenandoah, uh, is get better quarterback play, then maybe this kind of risk is worth it. But I also think you risk like undermining a. Uh, your your entire program by um by just not i guess necessarily showing loyalty to your players you can look at it any other way you know that you're always competing for your job no nobody is nobody's earned a starting spot in perpetuity right you're oh there's always someone better to come in to take it and if you're not constantly getting better maybe there's someone to, to right behind you that that can take your job or someone can always transfer in and take it there's there's multiple ways to look at it and i think that's what makes it such a thing that we will keep an eye on this season. How does Ithaca play? How does uh, Joe Germanario and Wahid Nabi's season go? And then what does Brockport do without Joe Germanario? All of those very interesting possible storylines this season. I can't help but think, of course, back to 
the big quarterback transfer story from the previous August, right, from uh, August of 2018, when Luke Porman transferred into Mary Harden-Baylor and Jace Hammock, who also transferred into Mary Harden-Baylor, was a relative unknown on the Division Three level. Um, and, you know, but those guys were both transferring into a spot where, uh, you know, the, the quarterback spot was basically open. There, was a, there wasn't even an incumbent at that point. It, it's not quite the same when you're stepping into a, a situation where somebody's an established guy and you're basically in there taking their job. That was interesting to follow, though, because we sort of assumed that Luke Porman, who had started a playoff game for Mountain Union the prior season and threw for 670 yards, uh, he wasn't just some backup who was coming in with with all the hype, you know, like he, he delivered in the playoffs before, but was blocked by D'Angelo Fulford. And so because their same year, Porman was was probably never going to get a chance to be the starter. Um, goes to Mary Harden Baylor, sort of with full support of of a lot of his friends from from Mount Union. And uh, we sort of assumed he would eventually or he was going to be the starter week one. And that Mary Harden Baylor is just um, playing it coy, yeah. as coaches are known to do this time of, time of the year. They do it with us all the time in kickoff. Or uh, I don't want to name any new names. I don't want to promise this guy is a starter. I don't want the other coaches in the conference as if they somehow won't get video of the game in week one and know exactly everything that you're doing. It, coaches are very um, paranoid that way. So I didn't buy it. I just knew Luke Borman was going to start. And then Jace Hammock starts the season. They win 91-7. Um, he plays again and again and again. And then finally we accept Jace Hammock as the starter. And then late in the season, Luke Porman gets the job. Then Luke Porman gets hurt before the playoffs. Hammock leads them through the playoffs. And uh, they win the national championship. Great feel-good story. And then we find out he actually got hurt, hurt his shoulder in the national championship game. So now Mary Harden-Baylor has Luke Porman coming back off a foot injury and looks to be, from reports out of Texas right now, looks to be taking uh, the majority of the snaps with the ones. And then Jace Hammock, who is the, the reigning national champion, Stag Bowl MOP, MVP, is MOP, um, who may not even start the season for the, for the defending national champion. So that is a convoluted and interesting storyline as well. And if you know nothing about Mary Harden-Baylor over the years, it's that with rare exception, I mean, Blake Jackson's really the only guy I can think of who was sort of the quarterback. Um, and that was only for one year. Mary Harden-Baylor, they'll, they'll play whoever they feel like playing at quarterback. I mean, it'll be two guys. It can be three guys. Um, they got a lot out of, out of Denarian Thomas last year in certain packages. So I think that makes them a little bit unpredictable, but also from our perch, fun to watch. You know, Keith, I should have just talked to you in June. You just fired me up even more for the season right now. Ah, but then we would have wasted all that energy. And now is when you want to have that energy, when you want to uh, take a look at what's coming up next Thursday, next Saturday. Because, again, these non-conference early season games, I think, are some of the rare opportunities you, you get to see, you know, just teams play that they don't play other schools that they don't normally play. Well, that was the first half hour of our podcast. Stay tuned for the second half hour and then the third half hour coming up in just a minute.
Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Chuck Yerrigan, the commissioner of the American Rivers Conference. I've finally gotten used to saying that name for, for your conference. Uh, commissioner for the past, I think, going into your 12th season coming up. And um, so I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Pat, and thank you for, uh, for, for all the, the publicity that uh, your group provides, the D3 sports world across the, across the map. It's been, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful service that you provide. Thanks, I appreciate it. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically is because there's a lot of talk lately prompted by events about, you know, conferences um, and membership and, you know, maybe rebranding and expanding and changing footprint and all that sort of thing. And that's exactly what the former Iowa Intercollegiate Athletic Conference did over the course of the past couple of years, bringing in Nebraska Wesleyan, which is, you know, fairly far outside the footprint. So after, you know, the first couple of years, how has the reaction been? Have people adjusted? What's the general feedback? I think the reaction has been really good. Um, you know, I'm, I've been, uh, I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been credited with a national championship in men's basketball that I really didn't have much to do with. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the you know Wesleyan just really fit our, um, you know, really fit was a great fit for our league. I mean, obviously the travel is a challenge, um, especially if you have to make those trips during the week. But we're doing whatever we can in scheduling to make sure that those trips happen on the weekend. Um, you know, I think in general, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to have another member. Um, you know, it's, it's good for, you know, AQ stability for, you know, the spreading out finances, um, because, you know, we have another school that's now paying conference dues. Um, but you know, the, the most important thing is that it's a really good fit for our, for our league and they have brought, you know, even more notoriety to a league that already had, you know, a pretty good, uh, record in national and regional play. So, um, you know, and adding another member that, you know, Wins a, wins a national championship in men's basketball, and you know has a four by four hundred that seems relay team that seems to win every year. So it's been a it's been a good thing. I think people get this impression that the commissioner is the CEO and can do whatever he or she wants, right? You want Nebraska Wesleyan in your league and can just go out and do it. That's exactly how it works, right? That is not how it works. Um, they, uh, you know, we, we work for the presidents, and so the, our presidents have the ultimate say in everything. And um, you know, this was a it was a decision that that obviously needed buy-in from them above anyone else. And, and they were the ones who ultimately blessed it. And, and so, uh, yes, the, the commissioner works for the exec commissioner, executive director, whatever, you, whatever nomenclature you use, um, that person works for the presidents, and so do I. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk across the border up uh, in Minnesota about uh, you know the, the the state of that conference and the membership of that conference, uh, where St. Thomas had won the All Sports Trophy or whatever their nomenclature for it is for the past 12 years in a row. If my understanding is that Warburg has won it for 15 years, something like that. So I think the question is, when are your presidents going to kick Warburg out of the league? <laughs> uh, they will not be kicking Warburg out of the league. Uh, you know, we are fortunate that we have had, I think, a lot more parity in the conference probably than, uh, than they do in Minnesota. Um, this past year, for example, um, we had a we had all, all, all of our schools except one uh, won either a conference regular season tournament championship or an individual championship. So um, and that's been pretty much the, the, the history that has you know it's been pretty much the norm as long as I've been the commissioner. So that kind of parity, um, you know maybe it doesn't exist as much in the MIAC. Um, but you know we're 
we're you know we're very comfortable with with where we are and you know and when Wartburg has just been fortunate enough to win the all sports trophy all those years we've had other uh, schools that have um, gotten in there and won we have the we have the men's sports trophy the women's sports trophy and then the all sports trophy we've had other schools since we since I've been here that have won either the men's or the women's all sports trophy too so um, you know that's not a I mean to, to be honest I'll be perfectly frank if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of those awards, I think I, I would do it uh, because I think we compete against each other enough on the field that we really don't need an all-sports trophy. Um, but the, the men's and the women's are named for pioneers in our conference, and so um, th- that's, that's a wonderful way to keep their memories alive. Um, but, you know, I, I personally feel that an all-sports trophy, I came from the Ivy League where there was no all-sports trophy, and uh, I just think that, you know, in some ways it can be counterproductive. Um, but, you know, the fact is we have it and, uh, you know, and, and it's not like there's any kind of, you know, malice towards whoever wins it. But I, I just feel like, you know, I'm the one who has to I'm the one who has to play the mediator. I'm, the one, I'm Switzerland. So um, I would prefer that, uh, you know, that we that we try to really compete hard against each other during the regular season in our conference tournaments and not worry about, you know, who's winning an all sports award at the at the end of the year. But that's that's just me. You know, this conference went from a stage, now this, Jesus, is 20 years ago, so maybe I should start a little more recently, but, you know, where Simpson had uh, a run of some uh, some great teams and a couple of uh, wins in the playoffs, and then, you know, Central, uh, you know, fairly dominant for a good, you know, eight-year span or so, and, of course, back in the 70s, which would predates all of everything. Um, and then, you know, but it's Bortberg, Dubuque, Coe, uh, there's been a lot of parity in football in this league. Yep, and Simpson, you know, now uh, we had we had three teams go into week number eight, week number nine last year with a chance at the conference championship. Uh, Simpson moving into that group, so you know you have you have some resurgence uh, resurgence there. Um, you know, Loris's program has come back like gangbusters, and you know they they seem like they may you know want to get into that first division you know on a on a regular basis. But you're right. I mean, those are the you know Co Warburg. Dubuque have been the schools that, you know, have been, um, you know, in the recent past have, uh, you know, have been in in the, you know, have been in the, at the top of the league, you know, Central, even at the beginning of my tenure, Central was, you know, was still playing in, in, uh, in NCAA tournaments. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I I think, you know, it just goes back to the, it goes back to the MIAC talk, which is we've we've just had a little bit more balance and for whatever reason we've had we've just had a little bit more balance in football and really across the board um it, we're in this rare situation where we have a school that is a free agent basically you we people can talk openly about courting St. Thomas because well they're available you're not talking about tampering with somebody else would the conference be interested in expanding its footprint to the north the way it did to the west a couple of years ago the answer to your question is yes, about expanding the footprint. We have not talked to St. Thomas. St. Thomas has not talked to us. I don't know whether either one of those things will change, um, but uh, that's, we just we haven't, got, we haven't crossed that bridge. But I think in, in general, I think our conference is thinking about north. We've got the west covered now, south and east, and, you know, and, and trying to, you know, again, trying to keep travel reasonable, but, um, but also to get into some of the surrounding states so we have a little bit more of a presence. Um, we, we've certainly got Iowa covered, um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I do think that, you know, a northern, um, a northern, you know, institution would be, would, will certainly, um, you know, be a, would be something that would be considered, but um, as far as St. Thomas particularly, we, there's been no, no outreach by them and none from us to them. 
what did what was the reaction to the rebranding? I know you, obviously you guys took a, a conference name that had been in existence for I think just about a hundred years, and and then just not just changed it. Obviously, a lot, I'm sure a lot. I know a lot of thought and planning and such went into it. But what was the reaction now that you're kind of through the first academic year in the new name? Well, I, I mean, it's certainly around the announcement, there was a lot of buzz on social media that was, uh, let's just say, not all that positive. So you're saying it was buzz on social media? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's correct. Um, but I think as time has gone on, um, you know, a lot of our athletes are not from Iowa. Um, you know, the the certainly the, the native Iowans, the people who have, you know, are, who have real deep roots in the conference. Um, you know, I've heard from, I've heard from many people uh, friends and uh, and work colleagues that I respect and like a lot. That uh, you know, we will. Ne I will never refer to it as the American Rivers Conference. It will always be the Iowa Conference to me. I get that, um, but uh, I think in general, we feel like our mark is a lot. You know, is a lot more compelling. That the you know, and that's not everything. But you know, in this day and age. Um, you know, student athletes in particular, they like stuff that looks cool. And so I think our, I think our mark and our art, which was done by uh, Sky Design Studios back east, um, and Sky Dillon, who's been involved with rebranding or, um, or logo, uh, logo revision for a, month, for a number of Division Three conferences, just did a tremendous job. He was so good throughout the entire process. I think that, you know, I think that has, you know, maybe won over a few people. Um, and so I, I don't hear a lot. Uh, as I, I, I thought, you know, especially at, the, at our fall championships that, you know, that I probably would have to hide behind trees and, uh, and, and not, you know, not be as visible maybe as I wanted to be. But, um, but I, 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 as the year went on, it just seemed like people were embracing it. And, um, you know, I heard very few people. I mean, I probably, you know, made the, made the Iowa conference, the, the I, I mean, I mean, American Rivers conference, you know, catching myself more than more than people you know, that, that I was around. I mean, it just seemed like, you know, I, I would go to press conferences or I'd be, I'd be here, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd eavesdrop on interviews after our championships and it would just kind of rolled off the tongue. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll, we will always, we'll always honor our roots. We're always going to keep alive that tradition of the Iowa conference. But I, I think as, you know, as, especially as new, complete new cohorts come onto campus, they're going to know our league is the American Rivers Conference. And, um, and we do feel, we feel good about it. We feel like we've, the name does capture our Iowa roots with, you know, trying to emphasize the Missouri on our, on Iowa's western border and the Mississippi on Iowa's eastern border. Um, and so we, you know, we feel like we, we, we naturally, we, we, we picked a natural name that can help us, you know, maintain that Iowa, that Iowa base. Um, from a, just a conference commissioner's standpoint in general, what are the big issues that people should be aware of that kind of bubble up to your level? Obviously, it sounds like, you know, there's not like you know, uh, movements afoot to boot people out. And, uh, and, and we hope that that's not something that other conferences take up. But what do you think that uh, people are talking about in conference meetings and in president's meetings that eventually other people will want to know? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is a non-athletics thing, which is just, you know, um, enrollment. Uh, you know, the, the cost of private education, you know, continues to be, uh, you know, get all kinds of negative publicity. And I think part of that is because, you know, families do not take the time to, you know, follow through. They go on a website, they see a, they see a baseline sticker price, and they think, well, we just can't do that. And they don't, they don't take those next steps to figure out whether it's, you know, w whether it's possible. 
if I am getting a scholarship from you know an athletic scholarship from an NAIA or a Division two, you know what what does that really mean? What 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 does it mean financially? Um, you know, do I you know do I really am I going to tout the fact? Do I want to tout the fact that my kid got an athletic scholarship from someplace as opposed to you know going to one of our schools where athletics aid is completely need based? So. I mean, I don't know that there are any real, I don't know that there are any athletics issues, Pat, that are any more pressing than that one. And so, you know, you see, fortunately, they're not all that common, but I think you do see more, you, you see the closures, and then you see this, the stories about the schools that are having trouble. Um, so I think that's, that's a big one. And I do think this is, maybe it's more a, a more of a personal thing. I do think that the, the, you know, the traditional Division three value of the student athlete is coming under more pressure because of how youth sports, how high school sports are developing into year-round things. And so now, you know, Pat Coleman goes through, you know, his athletic career as a youth high school athlete and has been doing stuff year-round. And now he comes to our places and our, our, our philosophy wants to say, well, we don't want you to do that. You know, we don't want you to be quite as intense, you know, in your athletic endeavor as, as you, as you were, you know, as a, as a person growing up. And, you know, frankly, it's a, it's a, I think it's a rock and a hard place. You know, we, we, you don't want to, you don't want to have those, you know, an experience that that kid has had. And now it changes so drastically that he or she decides, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this is not worth it. Maybe I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. And it goes not just from the, it goes not just to the athletic experience, but facilities. I mean, some of the high school facilities, I live in North Liberty, which is 25 minutes south of here, built, just built a brand new high school, brand new high school in a stadium. Stadium is incredible. And so, you know, now they come on our campuses and, you know, fortunately we, we have a pretty solid facility base in our, in our league, but you know, still some of these places, some of our places are, are not as good as their high school facilities. So I do think that's another, that if, I guess maybe that sort of kind of goes hand in hand with the enrollment piece, which is, you know, do I want to make the commitment to do that first of all? And do I want to make the commitment to, you know, an experience that maybe I know I wasn't, I wasn't having as a high school, you know, as a high school athlete. So it's a, it's a fine line that, that our schools are, are forced to walk and, I see that as not getting any, um, that fine line, not getting any wider. I think it's, it's, it's going to get thinner. Keith, we obviously covered a lot of ground in that particular interview, but, uh, you know, the, the one thing that uh, sticks back for me, obviously here is the whole change from, uh, the Iowa conference mindset to the American rivers brand. Yeah. I mean, Chuck's good. He, uh, yeah, he just, very insightful and and I love the directly answered the St. Thomas question helps us break yeah. a little news on the podcast. But uh, I do think it's true that when you change a name or you rebrand, you know, as especially in college and college football, we get so caught up in in tradition and you know for good reason sometimes because it attaches us to the soul, to the feeling of what made our time at a at a certain place or our attachment to a certain school or team, what made that special, you know, why that holds a place in our hearts. But it also, and and I've been close to name changes in some of my day jobs over the years, your name is just your name. Uh, branding is branding, the logo, the colors, uh, all that stuff, you know, it the soul of, of the, the conference, whatever it's named, 
is still whatever people in the past made it and whatever people in the future will make it. So you don't lose all that when you rebrand or when you change a name. And I, I feel like sometimes we forget that. We get so caught up in that tradition and we forget that the the soul of it doesn't change just because you change the, the, the facade or the face. So St. Thomas has not uh, inquired or had not inquired with the ARC, but the ARC is interested in expanding further across its borders. It made me think, Keith, I wonder if the ARC had talked about or had thought about if the MIAC split, like it sounded like it might have, would they have considered taking on like the folks at, uh, at St. Olaf and Carleton and maybe St. Mary's uh, who are in the southern portion of the state and might have looked to escape the juggernaut of St. Thomas? It certainly does make you wonder if they were being foresightful. Is that a word? Missed it by that uh, much. Sure. If they were operating with foresight. Oh, wait, we haven't made up a podcast word in a long time. Long time <laughs> listeners will remember that we used to make up at least a word, a pod. Uh, they were being foresightful. They were operating with foresight into the future uh, when they chose American Rivers as the name because it makes sense. Uh, and if you just know a little bit of geography, and I know a lot of our listeners are from the West Coast or the Deep South or the, the Northeast and don't necessarily know that the Mississippi River flows right up uh, on the right-hand side, if you're looking at a map of Iowa, uh, up into the Twin Cities. Yeah, I said that with a little bit of little bit of question mark on the end, so you, our Midwest geography expert, could say yes. <laughs> yes, it, uh, I can that's can where, confirm. That's where the that's where the Mississippi goes, right? <laughs> ding, Thank ding. you. Um, and it does offer the opportunity for the league or the conference in uh, to expand now or 10 years in the future or 20 years in the future without having to change its name. And, and it does sound like uh, from listening to Chuck talk that the, the league is interested in growing. And, you know, um, I quote this thing all the time. I, I picked it up at a planning commission meeting one time early in my uh, journalism career. Wow. And the, the guy was just talking about cities um, but it but it always uh, it resonated with me. He said, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I feel like it, it applied, you know, if a city's not having new development and new house, homes being built, it's a city that's eventually going to be run down. Well, a conference can be similar, you know, that if they're not looking out for their future, you can be the conference that's suddenly left sitting with six teams and has to go recruiting someone else to give you to, to help you uh, save your AQ. Keith, I just got to be honest with you. I am so glad that no point in my journalism career involved attending planning meetings. I tell you what, I will take planning commission over um, police beat. I know some people love the police beat. It's uh, it's not necessarily for me. Um, there are some there's some worse. The worst thing I ever did, honestly, was uh, typing in probably real estate listings. Uh, what, what are they called? Uh, land transfers or something like that. Oh God! And I used to have to do maybe. I may just do like a you know twenty at a time, and you end up having to do hundreds of them a week. But it's literally like Mrs. Jenkins sold uh, the, this address for six hundred fifty thousand to uh, Cletus Mc, McFarland, Mr. Cletus McFarland, from you know whatever. And then you type a hundred of those, and you're like, all right, I gotta go get a lunch break. <laughs> all right, now I'm gonna go look up Cletus McFarland, and uh, we'll be back with our next interview in a moment. You're on the Cletus McFarland YouTube channel.
Now on to D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Glenn Caruso, the head coach at the University of St. Thomas, here now as practice has started, getting ready for the 2019 football season after, let's just call it a super interesting offseason for the University of St. Thomas and athletics in general. Is it? I assume it has to be good just to get back to the whole football part of this again. It is, and, and uh, happy to be with Pat, regardless of what an offseason brings. You know it's always good to get back out there, and at our level we don't we don't quite get as much time with the guys in the offseason as the other levels. So, uh, but no, you're right. I mean, after after this past offseason, and for us it was a longer offseason than most, um, it, was, it just feels great to be out there, even though we're only a week into practice, just to be around the guys and feeling the energy and kind of a purpose and an attitude that uh, that is refreshing. There's been a lot of talk about the program and about the university. Uh, I have to have to talk to you about it as well. So what was it, you know, I have to assume that you guys knew that there was likely something going to happen. The, the uh, what am I trying to say, the, the signs were there, right? The people were talking about it well before the conference made its decision or you guys in the conference made the decision to consciously uncouple at the end of the 2020-21 season. What was, but what was your reaction when you guys finally found out and it was official? Well, I mean, wildly sad and disheartening. I mean, there's kind of two questions in there. I, I didn't, I've told several people, I, I didn't know officially very much before everyone else did. And you're right. I mean, people are always talking and there's hearsay, but holy bucks, if I listen to all the hearsay that's been out there over the last 12 years, it wouldn't get any work done. So I've kind of been able to drown that out and focus on things we can control. And certainly this is one thing that we don't control because uh, decisions are made by other people and that's their decision to make. So be it. Uh, We can only control those things we can control. And that's one of the reasons why it feels good to be back out here. Um, But uh, sad is is probably the best way to put it. Um, Disappointed, probably. Uh, But at the end of the day, look, I, I I don't look backwards. I never have. Um, I reflect, but I don't, I don't wallow in it. And so whatever it is to be, I'm a big believer that we are who we are as a program and we've gone where we've gone and hopefully we'll continue to go where we're going to go because we are forward thinking. So whatever the future does bring us, uh, supremely confident that we'll handle it pretty well as an administration, as a university, and certainly as a football program. There's a logistical thing to this too, right? And this will be the last thing. Well, the last time I'll ask about this, and we'll talk about 2019 after this. But you guys have to, at some point, figure out who you're going to schedule in 2021. Right? You're going to schedule two games, eight games, ten. Uh, you're going to get into a conference that's going to provide you with seven games, or what the heck's going to happen? When do you start trying to find those those extra games? Well, fortunately, our new athletic director, <laughs> Phil Aston, who we hired in January. Um, that's really his job, and, and he's going to handle all those kind of things. Not to say that we don't have conversations, uh, but you know, a lot of coaches say, "I don't want to think about next year. All I can think about is this year." And you know, literally, I don't can't think about next year because I don't know exactly what's going to go on. But certainly, there's you know, we're blessed to be in a situation where we we're, we're going to have options, and um, you know, whatever. Like I said a few minutes ago, whatever the powers that be decide. Uh, I'm going to be entirely happy with that, wherever that is, whatever it looks like. All right. So you mentioned earlier that the yeah this off season for University of St. Thomas football was longer than most. Uh, you know, did not get into the playoffs. Finished third in the conference. Uh, you know, still a top 25 team at eight and two, but that doesn't get you very far in a land of five at large bids. So what did you guys do with your extra long off season? I don't know. We worked. We focused on this season. I mean, there's positives to every negative and they don't always outweigh each other but 
Uh, you know, we had extra weeks where we were able to start our leadership and our lifting and those types of things last year. So we did that, but it's also just a great reminder. I mean, I think everybody looks at our program and they think that, uh, boy, they built some sort of monster. And, you know, in reality, it's just a bunch of guys that work really, really hard and fallible. I say that all the time, but you guys don't want to listen to me. And when I say that we're fallible and we're not as good as everyone thinks, you say, ah, oh, Caruso sandbag. And I get it, but proof's in the pudding. And, and it did give us an opportunity to kind of jump ahead a little bit. And, you know, as we look back, we've had two years where we haven't made the playoffs over the last long time. And, and fortunately for us, we've been able to bounce back with a, with a reju, re, rejuvenated kind of attitude and, uh, and some really good years in those years after those. So we just tried to build on that. That's all. All right, bunch of fresh faces on defense this year. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys turnover. Uh, if I went and looked through kind of position by position, I think maybe count three guys who were starters last season who were back on defense. And obviously, lots of guys play right on both sides of the ball. But what does the defense look like for you guys coming into the year? Uh, what, you know what? It looks sorry. It looks exactly like it feels. It doesn't look. It feels exactly like the 2000 and. 17 defense 2016 we had lost all these guys and jesse ado and all these leaders that had played a lot of reps and we needed a lot of guys to step in at that point we needed nine new people to step in and, and fill new roles as a starter and it feels a lot like that just in that i think we've done a decent job recruiting uh, recruiting to the system recruiting depth I think Coach Kashinsky and our defensive staff does an unbelievable job of, look, we're, we might not be the fanciest team, but we're pretty decent at putting guys in a position where they can be successful. And if they have singleness of purpose or specific skill sets, I think we do a pretty good job putting them in a position where they can highlight those skill sets and mitigate some of their failures. And uh, so it feels very much like that. A lot of guys have gotten a lot of reps. I mean, we have guys, um, so of the four, four starters return, we have six guys that were rotational players for us last year, but none of them started more than two games. And so I guess a lot of people wouldn't call them a starter. But you know what? As I tell them, and I love them all very much, my job is to find a, a better player than them, right? That's my job. So, you know, um, hot waters run deep. And, and when you have a program, I think like ours, that's pretty competitive. Uh, we have guys that are waiting for their opportunity, and this is their time. I would have to think when you have you know so many guys who are new on defense, you really freeze uh, Wally and the rest of the coaches up to kind of change the scheme you know completely, right? You have so many guys who are new to the scheme that you had before that what there's not there's no like uh, obligation to keep it. Oh, you know that's a good point. I mean, it's kind of like our offense back in 2016. After that 15 year, we graduated. I think nine seniors from that stag bowl offense right and okay. so it allowed us to it forced us allowed us forced us however you want to look at it probably forced us to have to look at other ways to do things the same thing um but at the end of the day i mean we st we're still gonna have our core tenants uh, i think we do a really good job finding ways to stop the run and getting our, our our defense in a situation where they can rush the passer and uh you know we'll still have our core base principles of what we're going to do but it does provide you with opportunities to open your your eyes up and maybe broaden your horizons and do some things that we hadn't done in the past, which, frankly, after being at one place for 12 years, that, that part of it's really exciting. All right, offense. I was here for, like, the last, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of your practice. I think I saw five or, different guy, five or six different guys in the black jerseys taking snaps. What's the quarterback situation realistically like heading into week one? Uh, so we have three guys that, that we feel entirely comfortable with. Um, certainly we're trying to figure out the guy that best suits 
the rest of the personnel at this point. And that's where it might have been a little different from years past. In years past, we had to pick a quarterback, uh, maybe pre-Johnny Gould era, back when we were you know, uh, playing with Dakota Tracy, we had to pick a quarterback that, that just fit the quarterback place. But now we have to find a guy that can distribute the ball. I mean, we have, I think we're in pretty good shape at the running back spot. A fullback, you got returning starters and Stephen Wagner and Jack Foley. Stephen Wagner plays both spots. You got Tommy Leffler, who had an unbelievable year last year. And that's not even, you know, talking about Josh Parks, first team All-American who returns at like nine yards a touch last year. So finding ways to distribute the ball and doing so in an efficient manner is a big part of it. Uh, it's not going to surprise me if we continue to play two or three guys throughout practice. And we'll find out. We're, we're not in a rush to make a decision. I don't feel, I've never felt obligated. Uh, if we felt like we've had two quarterbacks, two of the 12 years we played with two quarterbacks. And you know what? We won a whole lot. If we feel like we have one guy that's head and shoulders above the other, we've done that. So just trying to find those guys right now. We're pretty fortunate that we have three guys that we believe can run the offense, though. Keith, I obviously could have asked Glenn how many points they plan to beat St. Olaf by, and I know he's heard that question a lot, but it's not something he would have answered on the record, so there wasn't any point in wasting everybody's time on that. Yeah, well, you know we, we love uh, Coach Caruso. Probably not going to slip anything by him and, and get him any get him to reveal anything he doesn't want to reveal, but – He's uh, pretty pretty wide open. Um, he's usually super, you know, straightforward with us, and he'll just be like, "Yeah, not answering that." Yeah, actually, I suppose that would have been worth the price of admission, especially for those of you who aren't actually paying to listen to this podcast. Because we should have a Patreon. Should we have a Patreon? The whole thing with the MIAC—it's obviously something you talked earlier in the podcast about the team having the ability to have a, a chip on their shoulder like like they need extra motivation coming off of the disappointment and the extra long off season i don't know it's just like uh, i mentioned at the top of the podcast from from my standpoint that this was something that really bothered me and made it really difficult for me to continue thinking about division three and ncaa division three in general in the same light well i, I feel like we've had this conversation on the podcast once because i remember trying to think my way through the alternate viewpoint, which um, again is going to lead me on a small tangent here, but bear with. I remember getting stuck coaching girls softball uh, team. That was the brand new team to the league. They put all the new girls on the same team. And so we didn't have a pitcher and then fast pitch. If you don't have a pitcher and a catcher, you barely, you don't barely have a chance. So we went like, Oh, 11 and one this season. And turned out that, um, Almost all the all the girls still played next year. D didn't ruin softball for them, and so I felt good about the coaching job that I did. Even though you know we, I guess we got as much out of the talent as we could, right? We never had a chance, and so I know it's not fun to be on the bad side of ninety-seven-zero, but I also know it doesn't ruin the experience of playing college football or participating in a sport or coaching a sport because we've. Must have had, you know, we've done 238 podcasts. So I'm sure at some point along the way, we've had someone on here come on and say, essentially, what I love most was the relationships that I built. What I love most was turning young men into grown men and having them turn into, you know, fathers and husbands and, and good men in the community, which is kind of a, a coaching cliche, but it's also what drives coaches to be around. So, I mean, the final score, um, I mean, I know it's it's no fun to to be on the losing end of that game or to feel like you have no chance going uh, going in. But I mean, 
you know, does Wilmington vote to kick Mountain Union out of their conference? Does, um, yeah. I don't know, like I mean, Kenyon and Oberlin and uh, play, playing schools across D3 um, have played football and had and, and lost to more powerful teams and has still found ways to enjoy the game. So to take, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're wrong for it, but it certainly seems to me just kind of incredibly short-sighted, motivated by uh, mostly by football, although St. Thomas is very successful in all sports and may be more successful in other sports than in football, given that football hasn't won a national championship. Um, but yeah, it did rub us all kind of the wrong way. And I think almost universally the reaction is um, look, you know, taking St. Thomas aside and looking down on the, the Mayak schools that, that did this, that wanted this to happen. Um, and really all we know for sure is that it wasn't St. John's. Right. Who wants to have its rival rival. They, you know, they, they can play at that level and they also uh, want their rival as close to them as possible. And it wasn't, Bethel, which can match them some seasons in football, certainly has been – Bethel's been a competitive uh, football program for the better part of 20 years now. Um, and you can tell it wasn't Bethel because that's one of the schools that was answering questions on the record. Uh, <laughs> that's true. In, but In the Star Tribune. I was going to say coaches and sports information directors who make those quotes are not the people who are casting the votes, right? The presidents were casting the votes. And I, I suspect my understanding is that uh, when push came to shove, uh, St. John's was the only one who would have gone on the record to vote to keep St. Thomas in and Bethel was on the fence and we couldn't even count on Concordia Moorhead or, uh, or, or uh, St. Catherine university, which is like, uh, St. Thomas's sister school a few blocks away. I, it's um, it just this whole thing. If you want to know more about how we felt about this, you could go back to Pod 237. Also, we uh, we talked about it on Pod 237, which we fortuitously dropped uh, about six hours before the news that had been simmering for a month about this finally broke. So, hey, for great timing. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Christian Oslins, the uh, interim head football coach at Buffalo State. Uh, first of all, Coach, uh, congratulations on uh, getting elevated to that job, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. Interesting times at Buff State here right now uh, with uh, Jerry Boys retiring for the second time as head coach, because we remember when he was around the first time, and uh, then also moving into a new conference for football here this fall. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of new things going on for the Bengals. Yes, it is. That's uh, it, we're we're excited about uh, the new conference we're going into. Some teams that we've played previously, uh, and also being able to retain a lot of our Empire Eight non-conference teams. So we're excited about the change. And I should let our listeners know that uh, Coach Oslins is joining us by cell phone. If things cut in and out, we will do our best to uh, to minimize that. But I apologize for the uh, the uh, the occasional audio quality. It seems like upstate New York and western New York, especially, is like even though some teams are in the Empire Eight and some teams are in the Liberty League, basically, it almost everybody ends up playing each other, uh, kind of cross conference on a regular basis. 
Yes, that was kind of the reasoning with uh, Coach Boys when they were we were approached by the Liberty League, so we could have our non-conference games be Empire and Liberty uh, kind of playing each other. So we don't have to leave the state of New York up until I think it's 2022. Where that would be great. You don't have to leave the state until 2022. Is that what you just said? It just right, yeah. Right now, we're we're all all in New York State. Uh, our four non-conference games are Empire Rankings, and then our Liberty games are conference. Um, just in the meeting we had in May, they're going to do another two-year deal, and with us, it's going to stay. We're going to we may switch a couple Empire Rankings, but all of our ten uh, ten games are going to be uh, New York State, which is excellent. I remember you guys, of course, uh, very famously coming out to UW-Whitewater, which is now, it has to be, what, about eight or nine years ago. Um, so you guys have had... Uh, 12, yes, 12. Okay, so, uh, yeah, from 2012, so seven years ago. You guys have had, in the past, to go pretty far afield to find some games. We have. Uh, the, I mean, just this past year, we've had Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Uh, we've gone out to Manchester in Indiana, uh, Otterbein in Ohio, Spen- has been some of our non-conference. So, you know, the Bridgewater one, you drive past four or five New York State schools that you're like, well, you should have been playing those. So it's it's a good thing. And New York State, you know, it is a is very good football, and so it gives great competition as well. Uh, you know, especially you know, if you go back to, of course, when. Uh well, when Coach Boys was playing at Ithaca, for example, or even when uh, his uh, first stint as uh, head coach at Buff State, you know, the, the whoever came out of upstate New York was probably an odds-on favorite to play in the Stag Bowl, you know, probably 50% of the time. It's it's kind of not, uh, it's not been that way since, but uh, what is, would it take for, uh, you know, for that part of the country to elevate its game in Division Three football and get back to or near that level? You know, I, I, it's interesting. I, I think what I, I think part of it is we beat each other up. Uh, uh, you look at Empire Eight; it's tough games every every week. In the Liberty League, I expect nothing different. And uh, unfortunately, I think sometimes our each each region our our teams get kind of beat up going into the playoffs, so it makes it a little bit tougher. You have a you have to learn a whole bunch of new uh, opponents this year. Obviously, you you've probably played some of your uh, new Liberty League opponents in the recent past, and Ithaca is certainly one of them because you guys were both in the Empire Eight together up until recently. But what do you do? What can you do in the off season to try to prep for games uh, here in 2019? Is there anything, or do you have to just basically wait until you get 2019 game tape on on schools? We'll basically wait. The nice thing is we're fortunate. We're our first four games are non-conference, so we'll have an opportunity to kind of have those teams already play some games that we'll get. Uh, but right now, the only teams that we have not played in the past two years has been Ithaca and Union. We've scrimmaged Hobart uh, every year. We played St. Lawrence a year ago. We played RPI. Uh, Rochester, another school that we're real familiar with. Um, as everything else, you know, to get enough film, kind of off of that. 
what does the team look like for you guys this year? You're you're coming off a year where you guys were one and nine, which is a, a bit of a, a a a bit of a come down from the past uh, several years where you guys had been back at 500 or above. So, what does it look like for the Bengals in 2019? We're we're very inexperienced last year, and one of the things that Coach Boyce did midway during the season is we he decided, and there's a program we decided that we're going to play young kids and get them the experience, so the future. Uh, they they won't be so inexperienced, and uh, we didn't get the wins that we thought we would possibly get uh, by the end of the year. Uh, but our kids gained a lot of a lot of game experience, and so that's going to pay dividends this year for us. Um, and we we picked up a few transfers uh, during the off season here, which I think is going to be vital for a couple of positions. So we're very excited about what the future looks like here at Buffalo State. Yeah, and you coached under boys, obviously, for quite a long time and have coached at Buffalo State for even longer. Do you expect uh, that the Buff State program, in terms of like look and feel or scheme or tradition or anything like that, will be significantly different under you this year? Are you planning to make some changes, or do you kind of planning to continue the Jerry Boys kind of program playbook? We're going to be very similar. Yes, I, I'm going to. I would like to put my thumbprint a little bit on the program. Uh, but as we went through the offseason recruiting, you know, the question was brought up a couple times by people. Well, what are you going to do differently to change the program and get it back going? Well, we had one bad year. Uh, we've you know we've had ten straight winning seasons. It was a hiccup year, and so I don't think there's a a lot of changes that need to. to Made. Uh, there's a blue a blueprint for success here. That what Coach Boys did. And, uh, you know, I'm going to follow that. But uh, yes, I, I'd like to put a little bit of twist on it to put my name on it. But uh, other than that, there's a, a formula for winning, and we're going to stick with that. And I guess if you have any questions here in, in your first season about uh, you know the things that you now have to do as a head coach that uh, you didn't have to do as assistant, you always have uh, you always have boys right there to to call on, right? Yes, he's been. You know what? I will say this: he's been excellent about when I do need him, but he's also been great as not being around, uh, feeling like I have somebody over my shoulders wondering what I'm doing. Uh, he's been excellent about that, and this happened back in November. He said, "It's your program. You do what you need to do, and won't see me around." Uh, other than this morning, him and I played a little golf this morning at six thirty. So. Uh, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Is that the? That's probably the best time to play golf this time of year, right? Well, t- today was high about ninety-two here in Buffalo, uh, so we got up early and and got out there and hit hit him around for eighteen. So it was good. Ninety-two degrees today, and I'm sure it'll be about uh, twenty-five inches of snow coming up in about four or five months. It, it'll be seventy-five on Monday. So how quickly? <laughs> been a lot of talk this off season about you know schools participating in conferences and and schools that are uh you know are not similar to the other schools in their conferences we we've talked previously already in this podcast about uh, the situation with St. Thomas and the MIAC, where St. Thomas is significantly larger than everybody else, even though they're all private schools. And for you guys in the Liberty League, it's even more different. Obviously, not only a a large school, but a state-supported school makes you significantly different than almost everybody else. Do you, you know, I guess, how do you feel about where 
you guys fit into this league here going into your first season as a football member of the Liberty League? Yeah, I, I think it's a great fit. Uh, Buffalo State is a, is a school that academically sometimes is not looked at because we are a state school in comparison to a private college. You know, we were we were actually invited and courted to come into the, the Liberty League. So I think uh, the athletic directors from other programs, the other programs, know what a- academic standards, what Buffalo State's all about, or they wouldn't have invited us into it. So I'm excited about it, and I think it's going to be a, a very good uh, merger, and I'm hoping we're there for a long time. The dreams of so many people, of uh, East Region football fans, upstate New York football fans in particular for the last 20-some years, probably longer, is to have uh, a New York State Super League where basically everybody in the state of New York is competing in one league and you've got maybe the opportunity for a championship game and something like that. Is that something that you... that uh, Do people talk to you about that? Do the alumni ever talk about that from the Buffalo State perspective? That has been brought up. Uh, part of, I think, this is what what Coach Boyd's stepping stone was for this possibly to merge the Empire Eight and uh, the Liberty League to make it kind of like the the PTEC, uh, the in Division Two, where they have an East and West type of deal. Uh, that that would be ideal, uh, but I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen. But I think the starting point right now of us coming into the conference and us playing our non-conference games with Empire 8 and the majority of Liberty League uh, playing uh, Empire 8 teams, I think that could hopefully eventually be uh, down the road ha- happen. Well, it definitely we will get the opportunity over the next couple of years to really have a, a really good picture of who the best team is in New York with all of the crossover play between the Empire 8 and the Liberty League. Yes, without a doubt. All right, brand new conference for Buffalo State, one of three Division three schools to switch conferences. And I'd have to think that the top of the Liberty League is a little bit more uh, attainable for Buff State than it had been for the past few years in the Empire 8. Yeah, the Empire 8 has gotten really good over the past several seasons. And when it, when it has a good team or occasionally a good two or three teams, um, you know, a, a buff state that goes five and five, um, may you know may go eight and two in another conference, and and we'll see how that shakes out as as buff state is uh you know makes its way in the Liberty League. But Liberty League is 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 no you know there's some teams in that in that conference that are no slouch either, and and you know Hobart among others have had great years uh, where they're two three rounds deep into the postseason, so it, it's not going to be automatic. It, it seems like a weird fit to me because I felt like the state schools had sort of had mostly aligned in the Empire 8 and, and the, the Liberty League had mostly been the private schools and it just seemed like a weird switch. But as you pointed out, maybe off air, um, yeah, the Liberty League had been left with, with six teams and needed to add a seventh. So in, in the grand scheme of things, it, it makes sense because when you have that seventh team, you keep your automatic bid for the postseason. Um, and, and that's certainly pretty important because access outside those automatic bids is getting tighter every day. Yeah, and Pool B is not a place you want to be in football right now because if the six teams in the Liberty League had dropped into Pool B, they would have been the only six teams 
that were pool B eligible, so there wouldn't have even been a bid set aside for for them. They would have just had to fight for one of those five at-large bids, which is uh, what we'll have again this year. Keith, uh, five at-large bids with the uh, new Mac uh, finally uh, getting its automatic bid after the two-year waiting period. That's the collection of schools that includes Springfield and MIT and Coast Guard and Maine Maritime and Norwich and Catholic. And I forgot a, a seventh team is Merchant Marine, right? There, there's our seven. Yeah. Where's WPI? In that league, too. So that's eight. <laughs> Thank good, you. Good counting. Good. Yeah. All right. Then we should, uh, we'll, we'll have to do the quiz show some keep other that. time. <laughs> you want to keep that in? Just... Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Some of it, some of it. It's funny. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, where, yeah, we're in. Where do they say we're in? We're in preseason form too. Um, I have no problem admitting that I can't name every school in every uh, in every conference right off of the bat in August. So I'm all right with that. Pat, though, if if you can't do it, there may not be a person on earth that can uh, that can or, that can do it. I bet you could. I bet I could throw a random question at you. Where? What city is Finlandia in? Uh, Finlandia is in Hancock, Michigan. See, man, there's nobody on earth like you. Whatever, man. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a really limited the, the thing. That, it's a limited skill that nobody has any interest in. It's a party trick. Well, it happens to work on this podcast. What can I say? Uh, I the thing I do find I did find interesting coming out of this um, interview, and it I feel like when we've done you know in season for those of you especially who are new listeners and some for some reason have made it this deep into the podcast. I think we'll talk about the games that just um, that just transpired the previous Saturday. Later in the week, we'll look ahead to the week coming up, and then the off season is really when we get to time to get to spend some time with coaches, occasionally players or other people tangentially involved with D three. Um, but that's when we get to dig deeper into sort of the philosophy of building a program, or you know how to make your way from D three into pro leagues as a player. Those have been some of the, the good interviews we've had in the past. The thing that really stood out here, of course, is trying to follow your mentor. And there's to some level, you I mean, coaches have, have told us this frequently where you to some degree you want to put your own spin on it. But mo- for the most part, you keep things the way they were because um, you, you know everything you learned is from this person who's handed the reins of the program over to you either – purposely or in some cases uh in some high profile cases unexpectedly and uh and you don't need to to make a whole lot of changes you maybe just need to do like in the case of buff state follow that blueprint for winning a little better yeah i think if i look back at the uh, coaches that we interviewed this off season and obviously uh you know we probably missed out on the opportunity to get another half dozen or so by skipping a couple of months but uh you know, uh, we talked with Nate Milne on the last podcast back in 237, and, and he, of course, inherited uh, that program from uh, from Mike Donnelly. And I think he would be in a, a position where he might not want to make too many changes because that was a program that was successful and had a had a personality and, and that sort of thing. Greg Chimera, obviously, for uh, for Johns Hopkins. We talked with him back in January. Uh, he would be pretty similar. I would bet that uh, in the in most cases, Keith, the, the people who we are talking to who are taking over 
you know, I guess voluntarily where a coach uh, retired or, you know, otherwise was not let go because of poor performance um, are going to be in that kind of situation. They're going to want to maintain the tradition and maintain the big pieces and maybe just make some tweaks around the edges. Yeah, well, Nate Milne's a great example of someone who had a pretty good program, right? Muhlenberg was competing for the Centennial Conference title every year. And then last year, they're an 11-win team. You know, you put when you say, I want to put my stamp on it, you, you certainly mean I want to do things a little differently, just make the personality of the program fit my personality so I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. But also you mean I want to put my stamp on it like let's go further than we've ever gone before and and be what this person envisioned this program to be. The, the closest thing I can think that, that sort of compares is when Bob Berezowitz took Whitewater to the first two Stag Bowls. Mm-hmm. Both times they lost to Mountain Union, but then he hands the reins to Lance Leipold and, and Lance was the one who got them over the hump six times. And nobody is more proud of that. And, and nobody owns or is more responsible for that, for those six titles than Bob Rezowitz, right? He, he built it. He got it to where it, where it was, where he could hand it to someone else who just needed to get it over the finish line six times. Yeah. And if you want to know more about that, you can go back to podcast 34. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't have uh, that kind of detail. I was like, record. if you knew that off the top of your head, I'd have been like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> you know, we can never top, we can never top this moment in random podcast history. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. That was the time of the podcast where we dive into Twitter. You know, obviously coming up the, on our next podcast, 239 is going to be our first podcast of the 2019 season, of the the 2019-2020 uh, set of podcasts. And we will be changing some things, and we'll be throwing in some some different uh, drops, some different effects, that sort of thing. And we'll probably change up how we do our, uh, our game day podcast, right, our Friday podcast. But we're not getting rid of that one. This is the uh, – that is uh, – I'm sorry. We're from that SNL generation, so that's what we're doing. So uh, we throw out that reminder on Twitter, though, when uh, Keith and I are about to step into the studio, and we got some questions. One of them was from Andrew Weibel, who is at Pollo Picante. Uh, and if you don't know how to spell Pollo and Picante, well, then uh, some of you have never taken high school Spanish, and it shows. Does the Joe Germanario transfer shift the power balance in the East, or is Wesley primed to grab it back? I mean, either one of those things, of course, is a shift in the balance. I'm not entirely sure what the balance was, what kind of balance we inherit going into the 2019 season, but it definitely shifts some things. Yeah, I think it's interesting to just narrow it down to to Ithaca and Wesley as the, the two teams who um, who are at the top of the East because I think of the, the scope is a little wider than that. You probably don't want to just assume RPI is uh, is not back. Um, I But I to answer the question more directly, I mean, I think it has the potential to certainly shift the power balance uh, in the East, if you believe Ithaca um, just needed to be more efficient on offense and to go from eight wins to potentially 10, 11, 12, however many wins it takes. Uh, and I also think a team like Wesley, like for me, that was a no-brainer top 25 team. It was a no-brainer team to focus on in um, in in um, beyond the top 25, which is the annual sleepers column that appears in kickoff, which again is our preseason preview edition. And if you're can't wait till September 5th or whenever your team kicks off and you need to just sort of shoot some some D3 football straight into your veins. 
that's uh, that's our preseason delivery of it. Um, I think Wesley at six and four with three one point losses and a two point loss to Christopher Newport at the at the very end of the season. They finished six and four last season. Easily could have won. I shouldn't say easily because if they if it was easy they would have done it. But they could have won all ten games. And and some of these losses too are like they just didn't have a, a, a kicking game. You know, Montclair State, they fumble on the one-yard line going in. They missed a 23-yard field goal. Uh, they got in the scoring range three times in the last 10 minutes of the game and, and uh, still lost 10-9. to nine. So things like that, which are maybe quirky or maybe correctable over the course of an offseason, I, I feel like Wesley is probably likely to get back to where they were. But I also think the NJAC has got some pretty good competition this season, notably um, Montclair State, Christopher Newport, Salisbury. But they're missing yeah. a pretty good competitor in Frostburg State that has now uh, left Division Three. Finally good. After all these years as being the other team thrown in all these conference moves, finally Frostburg State is good, and they're in the Mountain East Conference, which is a D2 conference based mostly in West Virginia, I guess. Yeah. Um, they're no longer part of D3. So that's one fewer major hurdle for Wesley to win the conference to get back to uh, a potential unbeaten record, but back to the playoffs. I, I think Wesley is probably primed to grab it back. Um, they're not quite as star studded as they've been some years, but they also just recruiting pipeline. They'll find some, some players. Uh, I, I, I don't know what, what to make necessarily of Ithaca. I think we're going to have to watch them, you know, four or five weeks into the season before we really, um, know what they're made of. And I think yeah, you you got to consider some other teams, such as Brockport. I, I Personally, I think Brockport lost too much. I didn't even vote for them in the top 25, but uh, I could certainly be wrong there. I, I think the power balance in the East, and, and again, we're, ta- we're talking East proper, not like teams that are in the Eastern part of the country, but technically in the, in the South in D3, like a Johns Hopkins or a Muhlenberg um, or, or – I guess Delaware Valley's East team. I mean, they're they're just it's 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 a little more wide open than that. Ithaca starts off at St. Vincent, uh, which struggled last year and is under a new coach here in 2019. Uh, after their bye week, they host Alfred, uh, which should be an interesting game. Even though Alfred doesn't have Nas Smith coming back, Nas Smith uh, trying to I guess walk on or whatever you might say at a uh, at an NEC school in uh, one D1 FCS. Uh, St. John, it's it's and it's Nas. Not, it's it's not Nas. I don't know, man. Nas, for the record, Pat, is a one of the great rappers of all time. So I just assumed it was pronounced that way. Ah, see, and this is where me not having any clue what you're talking about, but I'll try to drop something in there. Send me something. Carry on, yeah. Send I'll, me I'll, something I'll, relevant. I can I'll, uh, yeah, <laughs> I will. That's a good one. <laughs> or uh, or I'll, I'll just ask uh, Jim Catanzaro for a reference. Also. Oh, no! I, that was made with him in mind. And then they go uh, into Liberty League play. They play their Liberty League schedule. They finish off the conference slate at RPI. And then, you know, I guess, and this may be the last thing before we head out of here, um, you know, the fact that if if I'm Joe Germanario and I have one place to go, am I going to go? Maybe I want to go play for the team that's going to finish its season in MetLife Stadium. That had to be a, a pretty good draw. I mean, if you're going to, uh, yeah finish out your career and maybe make the playoffs, maybe not. 
at least you're going to play in that in one of the great rivalry games in D3 and potentially the the greatest, most well-attended entry in what's already a great rivalry in, in Cortland State and Ithaca playing at MetLife Stadium for the Portica Cup. The biggest big little game in america and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 239 released on august 30th 2019 thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage as we head into week one if you like our podcast please consider rating it in apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast that will help other football fans find it and you can leave comments for us on the blog page you can reach us to talk more about division three football on twitter using the d3fb hashtag i'm at d3football keith is at d3keith we have a message board devoted to division three sports did you know join the conversation by registering the post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com also you can follow d3football.com on facebook the executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and we're going to keep that around for another year, too. You can find his music at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests in this podcast, Chuck Yergin, along with Glenn Caruso and Christian Oslins, uh, and uh, as well as sports information directors Gene McGivern and Jeffrey Ventura for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. The offseason is over. There's going to be content on D3Football.com all the time because we got games, we got columns. We'll have a top 25 poll after each week of the regular season. We'll have our team of the week, which is our weekly honor roll. And we'll also have no sleep, but you can find a new podcast in this feed from us twice a week. You heard Keith say it on the course of this podcast. He agrees. We're going to do two pods a week. And, uh, you know, at uh, the end of December, when we collapse into a puddle in Shenandoah, well, at least we'll have done another 32 podcasts between now and then. A guy who just left Division Three is going to get his own drop now. I don't know about that. It doesn't have to be a drop for him. I'm I'm amused. Uh, Yeah, we broke some extra news there. I guess we are doing two. There'll be a time to to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.